This message by Pastor Alexander Rajiri was delivered at Faith Fellowship Church in Dodgeville, Wisconsin. For more information, please call 608-935-2655 or visit us at www.dodgevilleffc.com. Chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy it, both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. This is God's word. Thank you. You know, we humans, we really do love our bodies. I don't mean that um, jokingly. We do. We care for our bodies daily. We make sure that our bodies are taken care of. In fact, think of how much time in a day, a given day, an average day, that we spend to the... Uh, addressing the issues and functions and and taking care of our bodies, just specifically for our bodies. In fact, we care about our bodies so much, you have whole political movements based on the idea of my body, my choice. And when we hear Christians or we hear preachers talk about Subjects that were very difficult to talk about, like we did last week, for example, sexual immorality, homosexuality, um, and these different things, one can start to wonder, why does God care, really, with how somebody uses their body? It's one thing for God to care about the condition of our heart, like whether we're jealous or envious or have hatred, or whether there's lust in our hearts. But when it comes to the actions of our bodies, like eating and drinking and sexuality, that are functions that God has made mankind to have, why does God care, really? Why does God, why is God interested whether we, if we go to the beach and enjoy the sun on our backs or go swimming in the waves, Why is God interested whether we 
ride our bikes down a hill and feel the wind past our faces? Why does God care if we have a rock or Mike Lindell's pillow under our heads at night? Why does God care? Couldn't God just find a happy medium? We could just say to God, you know, God, I'll make sure that my heart is right. I'll make sure that I love people, that I'm not, you know, stealing or lying, that I, I'm going to church and, and doing my thing, praying, reading the Bible. But when it comes to things that are pleasurable and such, can I just, can you just let me do my thing? It reminds me of the conversation I had with a friend of mine years ago where we were talking and, and the idea the, the lad gave was, you know, God gave me this body, so I might as well use it. Can't we find that happy medium? We do our part. Couldn't he just, couldn't he just let us do what we want? Couldn't he let us engage in that activity or, or use that substance or have that relationship? Why does God care about our bodies? Paul is addressing that question because in their culture and overflowing into our culture in the Corinthians day, there was this idea that this physical world is bad. This physical world is evil. This physical world is corrupt. But the spiritual world is pure. The spiritual world is right. And so anything that's physical is bad. You don't really have to worry about it too much. As long as your mind and your spirit are pure, that's all that matters. We kind of have this same quasi-gnostic mentality overflowing into our Western culture that as long as you got the right ideas, it doesn't really matter how you live your life. And that has infiltrated the church. As long as you got the right doctrine set, as long as you got the right belief set, how you live your life doesn't really matter. But God does care about not just what we think, but how we live. Not just what we believe, but what we do. Not just our minds and hearts and souls, but our hands and feet, eyeballs and nose and ears. A few reasons are given to us in this text as to why God cares about our bodies. The first is found in verse 12 and 13. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. What he's doing is he's quoting a saying, a rumor that was being spread among the Corinthians. For example, quote, all things are lawful for me. That is, you know, I'm freed in Christ, I can do whatever. But all things are not helpful, is his response. All things are lawful for me. But he responds, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And here it is in verse 13. Here's the quote. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Paul responds, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You see, the Corinthians were engaged in fornication because... They thought it did not matter what they do with their bodies. As long as they had the right beliefs, as long as they were freed in Jesus. And he's saying, no, no, no. Here it is. God cares about our bodies first because He created our bodies 
for Himself. He created our bodies for Himself. God created our bodies. God is spirit, but He created this world. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you read of His creation of the world. Put yourselves in that beautiful utopia, that beautiful oasis. God created everything. And He created this beautiful garden with lush plants and full of trees. And then He created man. He created Adam. Perfect. A body. And He breathed into the nostrils of Adam and put His soul in there and He became a living being. And Adam was naked. And there was no shame. And then... Seeing that it was not good for man to be alone, God put Adam in a deep sleep, took a rib from his side, and from that rib created Eve, a woman. And then God presented the woman to the man in the beautiful garden and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And not only that, God said to Adam and Eve, You can eat of all the fruit trees of the garden. All these beautiful fruits that I have created. All this wonderful vegetation you can have. Except for one. Put yourself in... Well, they didn't have shoes. Put yourself in that grass. God created you. God gave you a partner, a marriage partner... God gave you purpose. God gave you a task. God gave you all the beautiful creation to enjoy. I remember one of my relatives posting on social media saying, I call myself religious, but I also know how to have fun. Can you think of any better situation than Adam and Eve had in theirs? And yet they ate the forbidden fruit. You see, God created your body, but He created your body for purpose. And He created your body for design. And He created your body to flourish under certain parameters. He said, I created you, I give you the right to do this and that and so forth. If you do this, you will enjoy this life to its fullest. But don't do this. And yet we as mankind, rather than pointing the finger at Adam and Eve and saying, why did you do that? How often the case, God gives us a task to do. And yet we choose to go for the forbidden fruit. It's in our nature to go after the things which God has said we ought not to. A song in the early 2000s put it this way, If it feels good, do it, even if you shouldn't. Don't let people mess you around. God gave the desire for leisure. That wasn't wrong. In fact, Jesus encourages the disciples in Mark chapter 6. He says, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. But we as Fallen men tend to take the desire for leisure and turn it into wanting to be lazy and idle. God gave us the desire for food. 
God gave the, the, the fruits of the trees. In Proverbs chapter 24, it says, My son, eat honey because it is good. And the honeycomb, which is sweet to your taste. But a chapter later it says, Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Adrian Rogers said that a good thing can become a bad thing when it keeps you from something better. God gave us the desire for sex. It was His creation. But that doesn't mean that we take that and we fulfill it in these immoral ways. That doesn't justify, oh, and you hear it all the time and I'm sick of it. Oh, God gave, God made men, you know, with certain drives and so it's kind of understandable they watch porn. Excuse me? Just because God gives a desire doesn't mean that we have the right to fulfill it however we want. No, God has given a healthy parameter in which all these desires can thrive. And flourish. You see, often the case when we're tempted by Satan, it's like it's like we're being presented with, to use these analogies of pleasure, two um, lollipops, if you will. And these lollipops have a filling inside. And often the case, when God gives us His, it tends to be the flavor may not be exactly as sparkly in our mouths at first, but if we wait that outer coating dissolves, we realize that the inside is the most sweet and delicious filling we could find. Satan offers us similarly. And often when we put it in our mouths, it's just sparkling with wonder and, and delicious taste bud sensations, but it's very thin. And once that outer coating is gone, it's poison. We as Christians need to realize and reform our desires to know that God's ways, maybe at first they may seem like, hmm, I wonder about this. But if we walk in the ways God has given us, we'll find ultimate fulfillment. Another reason why God cares about our bodies is not just because He created our bodies for Himself, but because He has united our bodies to Himself. He has united our bodies to Himself. Look in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. That's what these Corinthians were doing, likely, that they were going to idol temples and engaging with temple prostitutes, which is a very common practice in that day. And what Paul is saying is, you're united to Jesus, and you're going to take a member of Jesus and unite it to a prostitute? This is strong language. It makes us uncomfortable. But it needs to be said. God cares about our bodies because He has united our bodies to ourselves. If you jump ahead in 1 Corinthians to chapter 12, we'll cover the topic about how we are the body of Christ in chapter 12, verse 13, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And then in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. What does, what does this mean? Okay, our bodies are representations of who we are. We interact with each other basically through the medium of our bodies. We interact through our vocal cords, 
uh, moving together and creating certain sounds in our facial expressions. And when we talk with each other, when we give each other a hug, when we interact, when we communicate, we got to type something, say something, uh, visualize something. Mostly our communication to each other is through our bodies. And our bodies end up becoming representations of who we are. So when the Bible says that when we trust in Jesus, we become united to Christ, a part of the body. Jesus' body has hands and he has feet and eyes and nose and an ear. And we as Christians become a part of that body. That means to some extent what we do, to full extent, but the implications, what we do, Jesus does. What we do... Jesus does. Where we go, Jesus goes. What we engage in, Jesus engages in. So if you're a walking representation of Christ, this is a motivator for me to say, Lord, I want this body that you have given me to represent who you are. And so... The activities that I get engage in, I want it to be where something that you are comfortable, that you are justifying, that you are putting your stamp of approval, that you are pleased with this because it is yours and not mine. And when we think of the sins that could easily beset us, when we think of the heart conditions that we often have, and then we think that that's a direct connection to representing Jesus, it doesn't matter if everybody sees. There are many, many sins that we find ourselves being tempted with in which nobody will see, nobody will know. And yet as the body of Christ, do we dare take that and make it a representation of his activity. That's why Paul is so strong in verse 18 when he says, flee sexual immorality. Be like Joseph when tempted with Potiphar's wife. Don't give in. How can I do such a thing and sin against God? Flee. Leave the situation. In chapter 10, Paul gives this framework, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able to bear in Him. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape. Why? Because we are connected to Christ. We have to see ourselves as individual parts of the body of Christ. Because God wants to use you to fulfill His ministry. Jesus was once here on this earth, walking this earth, talking with people, touching and healing and showing mercy, giving His body as a sacrifice to serve others, to help others. And He's in heaven, we are His body, and we continue that life. We continue the life of Christ in this earth by being His hands and feet, by reaching out in mercy, by reaching out with the gospel, by reaching out in truth, helping those who are captives under Satan's spell. That's why we're the body of Christ. We live out His life. So when we're tempted with something, 
In that temptation, remind yourself, remind ourselves, I am united to Christ. God forbid I should do such a thing and sin against God. God cares about our bodies because He has created us for Himself. God cares about our bodies because He has united us to Himself. Thirdly and lastly, and most profoundly, God cares about our bodies because He fills us with Himself. After telling the Corinthians, God created your bodies, honor Him with it. God united you to Himself, honor Him with it. He finishes it by this wonderful statement in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? The temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is perhaps the greatest motivator for using our bodies to serve the living God. The temple of the Holy Spirit. I'd like you all to see this for yourself. Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of Leviticus. It's one of the first five books of the Bible. Leviticus comes after Exodus. Leviticus chapter 1. You remember that God brought the Israelites, the Hebrew people, out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He called the people to Himself. And He told the people, He said, I'm going to be in your midst. I'm going to be in your midst. I'm going to live among you. And you remember that Moses went up to the mountain and God gave Moses the blueprint for the tabernacle. This tabernacle was to have all very specific and unique designs and articles and way it was going to be transported. And when you start reading, it kind of starts in verse, uh, excuse me, in chapter 26. When you start reading it, it, it kind of gets a little bit ad nauseum. You read about how God talks about how the Ark of the Covenant is to be created. And he gives all the details about the two cherub facing each other and the mercy seat. And then you read in in chapter 25 of the table with the showbread that was supposed to be in the tabernacle. And you you read about the golden lampstand that God designed for the for the tabernacle or have a shaft and branches with rosebuds that come out and and then you read of the the outer curtain of the tabernacle that has layers and goat skin and and the rings are specific and the poles are specific and you read in chapter 27 of the altar of burnt offering and the the uh, court of the tabernacle and you read of the priests even had their own prescription how they had to wear a certain type of garment they had to wear a certain ephod with the the stones and 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 uh, the, the diadem on their forehead that says holiness to the Lord, and they were given the certain tasks to fulfill in the tabernacle. And you read this, the altar of incense. You read this, and it continues, and it just like, why? Why does God want all these details and, and specifics? And He gives the specifics. And, and the end of the book of Exodus, this fascinating thing happens. They make it. God empowers this one craftsman, Bezalel, and uh, his partner, and they create this tabernacle, and everybody kind of pitches in. They do it according to the blueprint. And then what happens? 
You're in Leviticus chapter 1. Go back to the last chapter of Exodus there and read the last few verses in verse 34. After they, they followed the pattern, after they, they made the tabernacle in verse 34, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day was taken. It was taken up. And the final verse, where the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel, throughout all their journeys. They followed the pattern. And God came to live in the midst of it. And you read on, the same thing happens when Solomon builds a temple. Remember after the, they entered the promised land and the tabernacle was done away with, David wanted to build a temple to the Lord. And it wasn't David to build it, it was Solomon, and he built it, and it was beautiful. It was grand, it was full of gold and, and precious metals that couldn't even be counted. And you read similarly, after the temple was created and they dedicated it to the Lord, it says that the cloud of the glory of the Lord filled the temple, that the priests couldn't even function inside. And then that one's destroyed, but they build another one. AD 70, that one's destroyed. And there's no temple. But then Paul writes to the Corinthians, Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Why is God so concerned in how you use your body? Because He lives there. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, this is for myself. When we talk, hear us talk about the temple of the Holy Spirit, we're the temple of God. We often talk about it in the context of like, don't eat, drink, and smoke, and you know, try to be healthy. That concept is about that much compared to the overarching theme of sanctify yourselves. You see, when Alicia and I bought a house in Livingston, it was pretty run down. It was a small, tiny house, 250 square feet. It needed work. And we went inside, and we were living there, and slowly it was being repaired and remodeled. Yeah, the outside siding needed to be taken care of, but there was a lot of filth inside. And so often we're concerned merely about the vinyl siding on the outside. But if the temple live, if God lives within the temple, is there a rotten stench in our hearts from caked on food in the cabinets that hasn't been cleaned in three years? Not just our bodies and health, but our souls, our hearts. How we harbor feelings towards other people. How we seek to destroy in each other's reputation. How we lust after things that are forbidden. All in the temple. But it also incorporates what decisions we make. 
That is a motivator for when we're talking about things like vaccines. Why? Because this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whether it's the outward physical functions or the inward heart and soul, everything we do involves how we house God. That is why God cares about your body. So we have to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, how's my body? How's my temple? Is it a, 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 a body that is God's to own? For He created it. And so the forbidden activity that He says, do not engage in, I will not engage in. Is our bodies to us, is it connected to Christ? So that where you go and what you do, what you put in, and what comes out of the thoughts is a representation of who Jesus is. And also, how's our body? Is it a place which has been set apart? Like the table and the lampstands and the altars and the, the turbans and the breastplates. Is it set apart and sanctified? Are my hands, my eyes, my, my mind, my blood, my, my fingers, my tongue... Is it sanctified so that the glory and presence of the Holy Spirit will fill with Himself?